books is an excellent occupation. We like to read, we like to read, we like to read. I just walk my child Talk about the books that we read and we'll say really awesome things. You're gonna love it. Come read a book or maybe don't even read it. Just listen to us. Lindsay and Sarah's book club is the best book club you'll ever join. It requires very minimal effort and you can participate in your pajamas. I think that's an important prerequisite. Goodbye. Hello? Hello. Sarah. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. Top of the morning to (laughs) you. Just so everyone knows, I'm not actually Irish. I know that was probably pretty convincing, but it was pretty convincing. Mm -hmm. I was I was impressed. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it is. It is still technically morning here for another nine minutes. Shame me. Is that it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Somebody was late to the podcast appointment. I don't want to point fingers at myself, but it was me. (laughs) So how are you, Sarah? I am well. Are you good as well? No, but I'm well. That's the correct answer to that question. No, you're, you're right. That is the correct answer. But also, are you good? I think I you're just know. playing it off. I think it's, you didn't know. I do because I correct people on that all the time because I'm an obnoxious you're an pedant. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, but I want to know if you're good Oof. as well as well. I'm always good. I'd say I'm always excellent. <laughs> That's Man. me. Excellent, That Sarah. must be nice. It, it is. Good Sarah, you know. That's what we call you. I don't know. So. I don't know if there's a bad Sarah out there, but I do know there are bad Janets. Yes, I am. So we're recording on Halloween, which is spooktacular. Ooh. Insert and scary music. Yes, perhaps. Um, yeah, with a theremin. Is that is that we? Yes. Well, but yeah. So we're gonna hand out candy later because our neighborhood is awesome for handing out candy, and I'm gonna be bad Janet. I just happen to have all the things I needed for that costume, which is really exciting. Wait, you had a blonde wig already? Well, aside from the blonde wig, I had everything else. <laughs> uh-huh. Now we're learning something. <laughs> you did have a blonde wig already. What does that mean about Lindsay? No, my very helpful spouse went out and got me a blonde wig. Well, that's thoughtful. Yeah. Like, what does that tell us about your spouse? That he wanted Here. me to be bad Janet. How how am I trying to turn this into something naughty and you're not going with me here? <laughs> like, it's usually you. Mm-hmm. What's happening? God, yeah. Are you not on the same page? Yeah. Are you are you going to be dressing up this evening? <laughs> no. No, that that <laughs> requires planning and organization and I don't even know what laundry I have clean, so it'll be mm. I'll probably wear some black leggings cuz that's pretty much what I wear every day of my life. That's and very spooky. If we're lucky, a black or gray shirt. Oh. I have some fun black earrings that I will also wear. So you'll be like a like a black hole. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. I'll be a black hole. <laughs> And, you know, that's always smart when you're going trick-or-treating in case it turns dark and you don't want to be seen by the cars. So Yes. Yeah. That 
is my thinking as well. I always try to <laughs> dress as darkly as possible when I yeah. don't have to walk around streets at night. Correct. Yeah. You, yeah. You don't want to startle drivers. No, no. <laughs> Listen to us for more sound safety advice. Yeah, don't take safety advice from this podcast. That was a bad idea. No, um, uh, hello, Glenn and Cadence. I, uh, I see you over there. I see you. Sarah, you don't want to say hi to no. Glenn and Oh, okay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I don't want to say hi to them. Damn. Okay. I oh, I do. I'm kidding. Hello and hola. They're vacationing in Mexico. Oh, right. They never stop yes. working. But of course. Well, I mean, they're, they're listening. So I they're monitoring us. It's not really work, right? So what are we drinking, Sarah? <laughs> I have water, but I can't reach it. I'm just looking at it. <laughs> That's really sad. I are know. You thirsty? I am thirsty. <laughs> Be like the baby. But no one will bring me the water because I'm not a baby. That's very sad. I know. They have mm-hmm. a good gig, you know? They do. Yeah. Sit around, demand what they want. Just scream if they don't get it. That's that's precisely the words that were going to come out of my mouth next. I'm familiar. Poop their pants, get them changed. <laughs> I'm not really, I don't really want to poop my pants. This sounds fun. But the other aspects of babydom sound okay. I don't not want to poop my pants. I no. mean, <laughs> you know, just, just to see what it's like. I don't know. I feel like it would be squishy and yeah. wet. Damn, yeah. unpleasant, generally. No, well, <laughs> I think we know. Could also be kind of transgressive. That could be interesting, you know? Uh, sure, Lindsay. Let me know how your experiment goes. I do still have some <laughs> adult diapers from postpartum period over here, so. I don't, I don't, yeah, diaper, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, we should move on. Um, Probably. I'm thinking we should definitely move on from that. I don't know anywhere else we could go. Do, do you want to know what I'm drinking? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> To be honest, I've created many awkward situations this week. Okay. Just that's a warning. Um, I am drinking so I've got I've got two beverages next to me. Uh one of them is uh black orange spice tea mm-hmm. with a little cream in it. Felt Halloween-y a little bit, so that's nice. <laughs> and then in honor of the book that we're reading today, I'm drinking Miller Light. Because those go so nicely together. They actually it's surprisingly it works. It's pretty good. I mean, I didn't mix them together. Sarah was concerned prior to starting the recording yeah. that I had mixed I'm them. I'm still no. skeptical about the flavor combo, but I mean, it's your palate, so you do you. do you. It's nice. It's nice. I get the get the tea and then I, yeah, the Miller Lite. Um, yeah, it, so this is... <laughs> Sarah's <laughs> gagging and dying. Um, uh, this is uh, thematic, though, right? Because the book that we're going to be talking about, you know, about half of it takes place during the zombie apocalypse, essentially, and uh, much of what they have to drink in terms of alcohol is like crappy warm beer. So I thought that that would be on brand for this recording to just have a little Miller Lite. I'm nodding. <laughs> this is me nodding. Yeah, that, it works well in an audio medium. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm really excited to talk about this book. We have a, obviously we have a few things to, mm-hmm. to say before we get to it, but I really enjoyed this. I was really happy that uh, you seemed to to get into it and getting the updates from you as you were reading was really exciting. So I think yeah. that we'll we'll have lots of good things to talk about with this. Severance by Ling Ma. If anybody hasn't read it, I strongly encourage you to read it prior to listening to this recording, actually. I don't know. Like, I, I there's certain books that I don't really think that spoilers are an issue, but with this one... I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I think it's always a good idea to read it before we do this. Yeah. 
Um, I'm trying to think. Would I have read it if I knew the things we're going to talk about? I don't know. Yeah, because I, I feel like I spent a lot of the book wondering mm-hmm. where we were going. Yes. Um, and I think if I knew where we were going, it would have changed. Yeah. I mean, I did. I So I, I read it again prior to this recording and like I enjoyed it just as much the second time through. Mm-hmm. But um, in fact, maybe more like there were there were some additional things that I was sort of queuing in on that. Anyway, but like, yes, I think that people should read this one. It's it's very, very, very much worth reading. Um, it's a really good book. Um, but Sarah, Lindsay, before we get to the book, we, we do have a few things to, yes. uh, to take care of. So first of all, thank you to our new patron. Oh, yes. Mr. Yes. Buck. Buckholtz. Okay. I wasn't sure if we were doing both names for patrons or... Uh yeah well I mean I yeah if you if you sign up to be a patron I'm gonna read the patron name that you give us so if you yeah. don't want us to say your last name then yeah so don't put should. your social security number in your patron name no generally good practice not to do that yeah yes thank you thank you Buck Buckholtz <laughs> it's like I'm making a chicken sound Buck Buckholtz <laughs> that was yes, very that good is delightful it's Buck Buck you should explain to people that you're not actually a chicken because oh, that was well, very convincing. Okay, everyone. I don't have a chicken here and I'm not actually a part chicken. I just speak really good chicken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like I I don't know. We're we're almost to quitting our job money at this point. We've got three patrons. I mean <laughs> I'm sorry. That was really you're going to edit off that guffaw there. That was loud. <laughs> no, I'm leaving it in. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yes, no, we, we very much appreciate the support. It uh, warms our hearts. It does indeed. Um, and we also got a couple of voicemails. Actually, we got like 10 voicemails, but <laughs> nine of them were uh, Don Swanson from Wisconsin trying to get his message right. So <laughs> I'm going to release a full compilation of those to, uh, to patrons. So you'll look forward to that. Um, what a delight that will be. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we've got uh, some very real reviews to do for our very real, absolutely not fake review segment. Um, first up, we got an we got an update from Esteban. Esteban left us another message. Esteban from Ukraine, right? Yes. Less, left Let's us another message. That. Um, to just let us know how he's doing with his. If you if if people uh, recall on the last episode, he left us a message and let us know that we had really helped him with his erectile dysfunction. Um, he, to the extent that he was prematurely ejaculating every time, uh, which I thought was incredible. I mean, what a miracle. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so oh, yeah, Esteban. so let's, let's hear how Esteban's doing. Hello, this is Esteban from the Ukraine again. Wink, wink. I, uh, I had to say wink, wink because podcasts are an audio format. So if I just actually winked, it would be pretty futile. I uh, I went to my doctor for an annual checkup here in uh, Kiev last week, and he told me, Vasha prostata nakraska za bahato hokes. The Shlukali podcast, we're on the same page, which, uh, if you don't speak Ukrainian, translates to, your prostate is in the best shape it has been for many years. Have you been listening to We're on the Same Page podcast? I told him, of course, that I have. And he said to keep doing it because it's working. Thank you, Lindsay and Sarah, for looking after this man of a certain age. 
Oh, Esteban, we're so glad to hear about your improved health. Oh, Esteban, I, you know, I couldn't be happier for for you. And and it's so nice to hear that medical professionals have cottoned on that our, our uh, podcast is so therapeutic for sexual that, dysfunctions you know, of various that's kinds. That's why we wake up in the morning, Esteban. That's why mm-hmm. we do this. It absolutely is. Yes. Oh, we're just thrilled for Prostate you. Prostate health. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very important. Very important. Take care of your prostate. So... So if there are any men in your life that, you know, might benefit from becoming patrons of our show, um, yeah. just let them know, you know. Um, all right. So our second message, again, this is from Don Swanson from Wisconsin. And let's see what Don Swanson has to say. Howdy, y'all. This is Don Swanson. And I'm from Wisconsin. I listen to your show. We're on the same page. Every time I do my woodworking, it really helps me relax and I even get into a meditative state. I recently crafted an armoire out of a nice walnut hardwood. It's exquisite. I love working with wood, especially while listening to your show. I would not have my armoire without your show. It's a really nice piece of wood. Anyway, I love your show. Keep on keeping on. Oh, Don. That's delightful. We are so happy to hear that your woodworking is going so well and about how much you love wood. That's yeah. that's really fantastic. I yeah, I agree. I think I, I feel really like there's nice been to hear. I feel like there's been a real theme with our the men that listen to our show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think that's fair to say. A lot of a lot of wood talk I'm noticing. That's... We're happy to make everyone's men parts happy. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. We're happy to providing to be providing so much wood in the world. Yeah, that's that's I think, wonderful. I think we're going to put that on a shirt. Yeah. Yeah. We're on the same part, keeping your man parts happy since <laughs> 2000 and whatever year we started. Oh, actually, Sarah, I'm glad you brought that up because this month is the two year anniversary of this podcast. Nice. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Same to you, dear. I didn't get you anything. I'm really sorry. I got you this episode. Yeah. <laughs> And what a lovely present that is. Thanks. So yes, if you would like to leave us a voicemail, please do that. The number for the voicemail is in the show notes. Um, You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, which I think are updated frequently. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, probably daily. (laughs) Actually, the Facebook group does get some action. um, Occasionally, I I tweet. I'm a very bad Twitterer, though. I should not be in charge of our social media. (laughs) I, I shouldn't. Oh, and I should. Okay, well, maybe we need to hire someone. Maybe we should. Our, with all of our income. We have a lot of Patreon dollars. We could <laughs> afford to pay somebody. For at least two minutes of work a month. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a fair wage, for sure. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, you can find us on Twitter, uh, Watsp Podcast. Yeah, definitely join the Facebook group. That's that's a fun group. And mm-hmm. we do put, post silly things in there. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Spotify, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, Pocket Cast, basically everywhere. You can do that anywhere. Please, please rate and review us. That's our favorite. If you want to leave a voicemail review, that's awesome. If you want to do Apple, whatever reviews. If you want to proclaim it from a mountaintop, we're open to that as well. Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you'd like to help us pay a future person a living wage, you can become our patron at patreon.com slash on the same page. And you can always email us on the same page pod at gmail.com. Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, should we talk about the book? Probably. I think that's what people signed up for. And it's, 
you know, we're pretty deep in to not have talked about the book. So I mean, we're doing better than we. <laughs> better than usual. Okay. <laughs> better than usual. Usually oh. it's like 30 minutes before we get around That's to it. That's growth. Good <laughs> job, us. <laughs> yeah, we're getting better. We're like professionals now. So again, the book that we're talking about is called Severance. It's a mm-hmm. novel by Ling Ma. And it was published in 2018, which I think is important to note, because the the sort of central conflict or backdrop in the book is that there's a global pandemic. What? And yeah, I know. And so it's just it's it's interesting. There are a couple of details about how she describes this that are like eerily reminiscent of COVID-19. And it's just interesting to me that this was this was published well before that was uh, a reality. Yeah. So yeah, so it's uh, the protagonist is a young woman named uh, I wrote Cadence in my notes. Uh, her name is Candace. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Um, yeah, so Candace, uh, she immigrated to the U.S. from China with her parents when she was quite young. Well, she came later, right? Her parents came, and then she came at age six. Uh, yeah, right. I think I think six is young. So. Oh yeah, I just. You said she immigrated with her parents. I was just clarifying that technically she immigrated after her parents. Right. Fair enough. Yes. Sorry, um, so I'm her being pedantic. Then... That's, I didn't mean. No, no, no. That's that's a good. I just don't always you. remember details. So I was really excited to remember that detail. <laughs> I'm I'm proud of you. Thanks. Yeah. So she so she comes over to the U.S. when she's six. Um, her so I was trying to remember her dad dies. I'm not clear on when that happened. Did did he die before her mom? Shortly before mom, because that sort of started mom's decline the cognitive decline okay. yeah okay so yeah so her so her dad her had her dad dies her mom dies shortly after this is when she's in college and then she gets uh, a job with a publishing consultant firm uh soon after she graduates college and she's working in the bible division which is fun mm-hmm. she, she's working with clients to produce different types of bibles and there's some really lovely moments um and so the novel sort of moves back and forth between this period in her early adulthood prior to a global pandemic of an illness called Shen fever, uh, moves between that period and then this period in the aftermath of the pandemic, um, mm-hmm. which just like completely demolishes the global population. Candace appears mm-hmm. to be among like a very, very small number of folks who doesn't contract the disease or, mm-hmm. you know, hasn't. And yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, do you want to talk about the like the, the creepy overlap between Shen fever and the and the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, my thoughts right now that are buzzing through my head are more about some of the parallels between the fevered and before there was even a fever. That's what uh-huh. I keep. Yeah, I mean, I think it was either there's the there's the in, initial stage, at least from an American perspective of like, oh, this is a thing that's happening somewhere else and doesn't seem relevant to us here. And then yes. it sort of gradually increases in al- alarmingness. I don't Mm-hmm. My words are not happening today, but it sort of gradually increases in the amount that like people are paying attention to it. And there's like mm-hmm. a kind of a, a fear response, but an uncertainty and d- dismissal of certain, um, you know, like the the masks. They talk about that. Mm-hmm. Sadly, it doesn't seem like there's much talk of vaccine um, for them, unfortunately. But yeah. I, and I wonder how that would work because like it's a, it's a fungal infection rather than a virus. Mm-hmm. So like how I don't know enough about vaccines to. Yeah. I don't know enough about fungus. Uh, like, I don't, because you can't, you can't get a vaccine against like black mold or whatever. They would do that if you could. Wait, mold isn't a fungus. I'm trying to think. No, I think mold is a fungus. Oh, it is? Okay. I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, we are not mold, biologists. yeast. Cool. Okay. So fungus is like the. I mean, like, don't get your fungal information from us. Like, check <laughs> it. But I think, yeah, mold 
is a fungus. It's not a bacteria. It's not a virus. Yeah. So I think that's what's left. I was thinking that mold might be its own category. That's where I got tripped up. Doesn't matter. We could live on air Google it. I would offer to do that, but my keyboard is covered up with my sound dampening blanket. So um, Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll Google it. Okay. This is our live on air Googling music. I'm not sure if you can tell. It's but. very good. All right. Molds include all species of microscopic fungi that grow in the form of multicellular filaments. Okay. So yes, I guess they are fungi. You were, you were correct, we did Sarah. It. Thank you. We did. I do enjoy being right about things. That's a, <laughs> that's a real central feature of who I am. I love being right. I've noticed that about you. <laughs> Apparently, I also like to have the last word. And I've been pondering that, and it sort of haunts me. Oh, um, it's like no, a ghost? I'm glad it tr- truthfully, I'm glad you pointed it out because I think it comes across that way. Sometimes it probably is that. And other times it's like me trying to make another person feel heard. But also yeah. it means that like I'm keep doing that. And then and maybe I'm not ending the conversation when I should. Um, I always interpret it as like it feels rude to not respond to someone. Right. So it feels like you're doing it out of that motivation. Yeah, that, that is definitely think my it's motivation fine. most of the time, um, unless I'm like arguing. And then I do want to have the last word because I'm right yeah. and I want people to know about it. Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but back on topic. So, yeah, so Shen Fever. So just like a couple of details about it that I remember striking me um, kind of like, ooh, that's so one, it originated in China. Mm-hmm. Much like COVID nineteen. Uh, oh, and New York was an early epicenter of infections. Like it started at the coast and sort of worked in because they figured or they they speculated that the fungal spores were sort of being carried on goods that were mm-hmm. imported. Uh, so yeah, so so much like with COVID nineteen, New York was an early epicenter of infections, um, and the the early symptoms also look very similar to COVID nineteen. So we'll come back to the later ones that you mentioned a minute ago. Um, but they talked about the fact that it's easily confused with a common cold. Uh, you see shortness of breath and things like that. And then, the you know, the talk of the N95, N95 mask being recommended by the CDC. And, oh, I noticed one thing the second time around that I, I think escaped me when I read it the first time. But there's a quote about this at one point. She says, the seriousness of the epidemic varied according to what news sources you trusted. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Some claimed that the disease uh, was experiencing exponential growth, others that it was spreading at a slower, more contained rate. Either Shen fever was no bigger an issue than the West Nile virus, or it was on the level of the Black Plague. Yes. But as you as you mentioned, right, like, even more than those kind of concrete details, I found it prescient and compelling, her description of the psychological impact yep. of sort of going through the early stages and then the later stages of this pandemic and the kind of denial yeah. that a lot of people were in. Like Candace continues to live in New York City, like far past the stage of it actually yeah. being habitable. Yeah. And I, there was so many, she captured isolation very well, um, I think. And like, there was so many times where I was like, gosh, I, f- I felt, you know, having lived in like a very rural part of uh, Mississippi when I did and like kind of out in the middle of nowhere. I, I was still close to other people, but I felt very isolated at times. And I can't even imagine how much more isolated I would have felt if most of the people I knew were dead and I didn't have any family. Like, you know, because if the zombie apocalypse happens, I'm going to my parents' house. We're going, you know, we're we're yeah. going to go out to the farm where all the guns are, right? I mean, that's just... Right. <laughs> <laughs> So See, I'm so this is interesting because like that that was my original plan when like at the beginning of the pandemic when we were really like we might be living in the zombie apocalypse soon 
we had a similar kind of plan. We were going to go out to this cabin that um, that my husband's parents have that's like way out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And that seemed like a good plan. Since then, I have changed my plan. Well, I mean, you have different contingencies for different circumstances. I mean, these these particular fevered people are not your traditional zombie. They're not even right. your modern zombie. <laughs> They're a different sort of zombie. I yeah, think let's talk about that. even sadder sort of zombie. It was very it's, sad. It's a haunting description. Yeah. So let's yeah. let's talk about that. So what is what is the late stage of the the illness look like? So essentially, it, it to me it sounded like the fever sort of like eliminates activity in like your frontal lobes, sort of the higher order things. And you're basically performing daily tasks that are very familiar and very repetitive and just very repetitive um, ways. And you're mm-hmm. not doing any novel thinking, no new things. You're not reacting to your environment. You're just going through the motions. Yes. And that, this is where I also want to mention, like, I, I know some of it was intentional, or I assume some of it was intentional, or all of it was intentional, but it just, over and over again, I was struck by how similarly she depicted what the zombies were doing and how repetitive and, I don't know another word, like how she was just going through the motions of her own life. And yes. um, I thought that was I think a that very interesting. Absolutely intentional. Made me very, very sad for the, mm-hmm. you know, pre event her and the. Like, she didn't start living until everyone died. Yeah. No, I, I, that's, that was one of the things that, like, I really loved about this book because I think that, like, the very clear central theme in the book is, is the effects of consumerism and late stage capitalism and, like, what, what effects it has on, on people who are sort of living through that kind of period. Mm. Right. And so her descriptions of, um, yeah, like, like throughout the book, she 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 sort of goes into these these moments where Candace is sort of thinking about her her approach to life prior to the pandemic, and it's like there's such a like a hollowness and like a mm-hmm. desolation to how she talks about even things that I think a lot of people would identify as like moments of joy and mm-hmm. fulfillment, right? Like she talks about like <laughs> like going to brunch and you know, buying X sunglasses or or whatever and, you know, going to parties with friends. And like, But like the way that she talks about it is just like there is a kind of like mindlessness yeah. to everything that she talks about. There's no joy in the retelling of any but of these I, things. And I think it's fair. Like I obviously as a white person who was born here, I can't speak to the experience of a lot of um, people who have emigrated. But I do think that there's like this thing that happens sometimes with children of immigrants where where there are a lot of experiences that are very tied up in their parents and very tied up mm. in the struggles when they first emigrate. And I think yeah. I think there were some unresolved things there for her and with her parents dying early, she had some very complex grief. Um yeah. she doesn't label it like that, but I you know, from a mental health perspective, I think that there was definitely some some mental health stuff going on with her there. Yeah, th- so that's another that's another interesting theme too, like um her sort of family dynamics and like um, her parents' relationship to family mm-hmm. and like her her mother and father sort of had like very different kinds of relationships they were to not family on the same and community. They, they were not. No. And and that's kind of it's mirrored in Candace's experiences of things as well, I think. I think that she has mm-hmm. some complicated relationships with mm-hmm. how she relates to family. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think Candace Candace very rarely is in touch with what Candace actually wants. I don't know that she knows it. True. And she's not always going after it. She's just she's just going through the motions. She's just mm-hmm. sort of doing um and existing. Um and, and it's mm-hmm. it's hard for her to do things with intent. I think she hasn't really figured those things out what she really wants. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's caught in habits. She's mm-hmm. caught in routines. Um and she and you know, she describes it that way explicitly. Mm-hmm. Like 
Oh man, there there was a part that was Some like quotes. Yeah, there was a there was a part that stretched on for several pages where she's talking about going to work as the pandemic is like gradually worsening. Mm-hmm. And it's like every few pages she she includes the same phrase. She's like she's like I went to work, I slept, I repeated the routine. Yeah. It just keeps coming up. And let's just say that the person who read this book for the audiobook did a great job of sounding dispassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very melancholy. But at the same time, mm-hmm. like, there were times where I was like, man, this book is melancholy. But at the same time, like, it still was very interesting to read. Like, it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't boring, certainly. Um, no. It was very it was... relatable in a lot of ways. Um, right. Yeah. There were definitely other, t- although there were definitely times I was driving around and, like, I would be surprised to see other people. I would forget that I was not in the post-apocalyptic world. Um, so it's very, we? like, she really, she was very good with sensory details. And so she would really oh, yeah. wrap you up in this experience. And I'd be like, oh, oh, right, right. Yeah, that's, I'm not mm-hmm. there. I'm, I'm here. No. Yeah. Um. Yeah, actually. So, so let's, let's come back to Shenfeu for a minute, because I think there, like, I pulled out a couple of illustrative scenes where she's describing encountering some mm, of these folks. Yeah. Yeah. I won't get too graphic because, like, some of the scenes are, like, pretty gross. So yeah, there's one scene like this is shortly after she has, this is after she's left New York and she's found a few other survivors and the, this group of people uh, goes on what they call stalks to sort of like go through houses that are abandoned, obviously, because almost the entire population is dead um, and look for supplies and things like that. But not infrequently, they will go into these houses and there will be fevered people in there. So they're not, you can't quite say that they're alive, but they are stuck in some kind of loop. Mm. And so the first stalk that she goes on, she she describes looking through the, the front window and there's a, there's a family sitting at a dinner table and the mother is just setting the table and picking up the plates and setting the table and picking up the plates. And this is just the loop. They lick that, the plates and go through motions as if they're eating sort of. Mm-hmm. And then it just starts over. It's and very haunting. Just, yeah, it really is. It's it's a uh, it's a lot. There's a scene later in the book where uh, it's a flashback, right? So this is like from earlier in the pandemic, and Candace is over to a friend's house, and she looks out, and her friend's next door neighbor is like trying to get the key in the lock, mm. and this is apparently like a an issue she had before. Like the woman is fevered. Candace doesn't know it for a few minutes, but the woman is fevered. But like before she became fevered. Um, her friend says that she constantly had this issue of never being able to to find the right key and put it in the lock. I read that as just she had been fevered for a while and the friend didn't notice. Uh, that Because the friend be. said I... she didn't ever want me to help. I, I took that as she was fevered and the girl just wasn't paying attention. And the lady be. was like sort of air quotes ignoring her, but just wasn't reacting to her because she was fevered. Yeah, that could, that could be. Um, I, yeah. That, it's a very seems, minor detail, so I'm, I don't know why I brought that up. But. <laughs> well, but yeah, so, so Candace goes over to help her. She gets the door open, and then Candace notices mm-hmm. that, like, her appearance is very disheveled. Like, she's got makeup all over her face that, it, it, you know, she's mm-hmm. clearly fevered. And the woman just sort of, like, robotically walks into the apartment, sits down on her couch, and the TV's on at, like, full blast, and she just starts, like, flipping through channels and laughing. And she's flipping the channel yeah. again and laughing. And she's – and so, you know, Candace looks at what's on, and she's, like – she's watching a news program about, um, you know, wealth inequality, and she's laughing. And she flips to a, to a commercial for, you know, the new MacBook Pro or whatever, and she laughs. And it's just – it's, like, it's a really just viscerally haunting mm-hmm. kind of – like, it gave me chills mm-hmm. <laughs> when I got to that. She paints a, paints a good picture. Yeah. 
Um, and so this is another thing I wanted to talk about, and I, it didn't occur to me until the second time through. So I'm, I'm wondering if it occurred to you. She speculates, Candace speculates at one point that nostalgia might be the thing that triggers the onset of the disease's worst symptoms. And this is because, like, one of the people in her group wanted to mm. go back to her parents' house to get some yeah. weed. And at that, like, when they go to her parents' house, she ends up manifesting the worst symptoms of the of the fever. So very, her friend... Yeah, very suddenly. Yes, very suddenly. And, you know, so, like, the way they, they know it is that her friend just, like, keeps pulling dresses out of the closet, putting them on, like, posing in the mirror, taking it off, putting it in the closet, getting another dress. And so, like, after they leave, Candace is talking to one of the other people and she's like, do you think that it's nostalgia? Is that the thing that's, like, triggering mm -hmm. it? And I don't know. So, like... That's also one of Bob's focuses is that they have to move forward, move forward. And Candace's, too. Yeah. When they're talking about this, she says, uh, quote, if I ever found myself in the vicinity of Salt Lake, which is where they used to live, I'd probably keep driving. It's too depressing, too soul-crushingly sad to reminisce. The past is a black hole cut into the present day like a wound. And if you come too close, you can get sucked in. You have to keep moving. Mm. Like, okay, so the thing that I thought was interesting about this is that, you know, we're we're wondering through a lot of the book, like, why did this particular group of people not get fevered when the entire world is fevered? And at least in Candace's case, it seems like she's living her entire life in a way that is like resisting sentimentality. You know, she's not, she's, you know, resisted going home to China to be with family. You know, she's just kept her life in sort of like this detached kind of state. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you, do you think that that was the intent that like nostalgia actually is the thing that's triggering things? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I never was able to gauge whether like it, are Candace and Bob and the other people in this small group, are they just immune? Are they resistant? You know, and um, I, it seems seems like maybe there are just some differences, perhaps combined with luck. I don't know. Cause... But, <laughs> but they weren't in the end, right? At least a couple of them weren't. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I want to talk about... Oh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to give like a little bit of structure to it too, because we're talking about Bob, but we haven't said who he is. Um, yes. Yeah, that's... So yeah, like I, Candace, it's all kind of back and forth from present to past. That's yeah. um, that's, that's sort of a storytelling mechanism she uses, um, which is which is helpful in it not getting too heavy because the future is, is set. Um, so once you get about mid-book, you can sort of piece together like... She persisted in going to work. She had this great offer from her business to be like one of the last few people to stay in the office. If you stay mm -hmm. until this date, you get this great, this great, huge settlement. Um, it's a mm -hmm. huge amount of money. Severance. Um, right. Severance. There <laughs> yeah. you go. Um, and, you know, she's like the only one who persisted. She, it hadn't occurred to her. There might be no reason to persist, but she just kept doing it. Um, yep. So she ends up with this insane amount of money. But, you know, who's accepting money anymore? Um, right. She realizes just all of a sudden, having having persisted in this ghost city of New York, that she has to leave. She has to leave right now. I got a little frustrated with her pretty much total lack of planning or anything like that. Who am I to say how I would react if I were in her situation? But yeah. we also find out, um, too, that, you know, she she's leaving the city. Um, you find out a little bit later or get confirmation, at least, that she is pregnant, which what a scary mm. time to be pregnant. No kidding. Um, and this group that does the stalks, for whatever reason, they noticed, well, I think they, not for whatever reason, I think they noticed the yellow cab that she had used to get out of the city. It stood out among the other cars that were sort of clogging the highway. So they actually found her like sort of dehydrated and sleeping in the back seat. Bob is this group's self-appointed leader. 
Yeah. Um, Bob's and a little he's culty. Like, yeah, he's like he's like a right wing authoritarian religious nutbag is how yeah. I would characterize Bob. Yeah. Like, um, you know, it's just a self-appointed some, dictator. Right? Yeah. And there's, you know, definitely some commentary in the lack of democracy there, too, because it, was, it wasn't a democratic group. It was Bob was no. the, the leader. Yeah. Um, he's a dictator. I hated Bob. Yeah, I really hated Bob, too. Um, so they found her and it's sort of like you get you sort of get that the, the, everybody in the group is like without enthusiasm going through the motions again and um sort of adhering to bob's standards because they don't really know what alternatives they have and there's a lot of fear and yeah i thought that was weird too it's like yeah i mean i i get it like this is it's a very human kind of thing to just sort of be like all right if this guy's the leader then i guess he's the leader but also when he started getting really problematic and authoritarian and yeah. locking people up for bad behavior like yeah. you'd think that they would have just been like oh, fuck this like there's more of us than there is of him yeah yeah, but I guess he had, like, what, Adam and – were they Adam and Todd? I don't know, whatever their names were, but the two other dudes who were, like, yeah. his cronies. Evan, um, I think, was the – No, Evan was one of the – Evan was the one who overdosed, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking oh, about uh, the two guys who backed Bob up. No, you're right. You're right. Okay, yeah. I, I'm um, so he had, like, supporters who didn't seem to disagree with him, but we really get very little of the other people's perspectives. It's really very richly Candace's experience. Um, yeah. But at some point – they, you know, Candace and this group of sort of like-minded or similar people who, honestly, the impression I get is that they're young and sort of just like floating through those, the 20s there trying to figure yeah. out life. Um, so they sort of, their stories or their experiences resonated with one another. So they had sort of this group established. Um, they had been, Candace discovered, going out on their own little nighttime stalks to try to get some weed. It was just one of their coping strategies. Mm -hmm. um, so Candace goes on one of them, just one. She goes on one, the faded one, and they go to one of the group members' childhood homes. Mm -hmm. And that's where, as Ashley, that's where she's triggered um, and, and ends up being fevered. And that's where, that's where things like got really dark for me, I think, because that's where we see like, oh, Bob is a scary MFR. Um, yeah. And they, she and Evan pull away from the situation, whereas Janelle, the other group member, is there trying to get Ashley to snap out of it. So there's some, you know, very reluctance to acknowledge that Ashley could suddenly become so fevered, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, and so Evan and Candace go and run and get Bob to help resolve the situation because apparently they couldn't figure it out themselves. I, I Yeah, that's that's a struggle for me, too. Also, as a side note, I, I'm struck by the lack of dead bodies. Like, they have all these cars clogging that. Like, where are all the fevered dead people? Like, I don't know where they are because we don't get much commentary. When they go out, they, they're not talking about bodies being on the street. Or, like, I don't know where the people are. So that's, to me, is, like, just a detail that was almost just omitted. And maybe it's not important. But it is something that struck me. Like, yeah. there should be a lot more dead people or half dead people. There should be. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, to go back to the story, they, they go to get Bob. Bob comes to correct the situation like the evil dictator father that he is. And he goes in. Goes in. You imagine that he's probably going to end up shooting Ashley because that's what he does to the fever because it's merciful. But he comes mm -hmm. back out and Janelle doesn't come either. Um, and so, you know, for the rest of the book, we're wondering, did he, did Janelle actually throw her body in front of Ashley to protect her or did, That's, um, right. Which is what Bob says. Yeah. But I wouldn't put it past him to just yeah. kill her if she's being a troublemaker. Yes. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's awful. The, probably the worst point in the book for me, well, I don't know if there were a lot of bad points, but the worst point was, um, when Bob forces candace like it's like almost like an, a rite of passage or an act of initiation he like forces her to shoot some oh. fevered no i i read that as like purely punitive 
because be- yeah, he fair. because she she didn't tell Bob that there was a fevered young girl in one of the rooms because she knew Bob was gonna kill her. Yeah, and so she tried to like hide that the girl was in the room. And Bob got pissed off about that because that's what we do to the fevered. And so to punish her, he was like, no, you have to kill the girl then. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, I don't want to say it was a good story, but she did a good job with that little yeah. scene. Um, yeah. So we probably ought to take a break. Um, sorry. I just covered like a lot of things. So. No, no, no. That that was great. I'm glad that you did that because like I, I had troubles. <laughs> I'm having trouble providing structure for this one because what? there's like so What's many, happening? there's so many like big themes I want to talk about. So mm-hmm. like the, the plot details, I think I'm falling short on but um but yeah so let's uh let's take uh take a little bit of a break and then when we come back uh can we talk about how bob dies oh yeah that'd be great okay cool when the weight of the world is upon you and the pressures of the day make you sad read a book and you'll feel better Read a book and you'll be glad. And we're back. And we're back. Sarah tried to get a drink, but I don't think was successful. No, it didn't take. Mm. It's, uh, it's, the, it's the bitterest thing I've ever tasted in my life. <laughs> it was an IPA, so it claimed it claimed that it was not made with bitter hops, but but non-bitter hops. Oh. Um, <laughs> Never trust an I'm IPA. I'm sure it didn't help that I had something very sweet prior to drinking it, but uh, I still... That probably did not help, yeah. still have a lingering... Oreos and IPAs are not a good mix, honestly. <laughs> I think I would feel this way had I not had the Oreos, but I think the Oreos just highlighted the, the contrast, really, and, and, and underscored just how effing bitter this beer is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want it anymore. I don't... No. I well, uh, good for you for trying, though. I know. That's why I tell pearl like good good trying new things mm-hmm. i just have another miller light so <laughs> i don't like those either <laughs> i i don't particularly either but uh you know uh, all of this said i enjoy more so maybe not always that's probably a bold claim but i often enjoy the bitterness of dark beers like mm-hmm. i find that more tolerable maybe it's balanced better with like other flavors i don't know Th- those but do tend to be sweeter too that. so that's yeah. yeah i would imagine that would be more yeah, this one's garbage and I hate it. <laughs> so I guess they're not going to be a sponsor for our podcast. No. <laughs> no, I don't think that. I reckon they won't. All right. So we we were going to talk about Bob. Oh, yeah. Okay. Bob. So do you do you want to talk about how Bob died? And then I'll tell you the so fun thought I had. It's interesting. I have some thoughts, too, oh, to oh. see if they're similar thoughts. Oh, boy. Bob, who we hate. Um, yes. Was this uh, weird, weirdly fragile, as they often are. Like these kind of people are often fragile, mm-hmm. which is why they are the way they are. I think. But um, he was, you know, very controlling. Became more so controlling once people acted out and defied his authority. Um, but he had that whole like benevolent master kind of thing going on. Like I'm doing this for your own good. Yeah, it's very paternalistic in a really nauseating way. Yeah, it's um, gross. And. So- <laughs> So they had made it to this, quote, facility in the Chicago area. Um, and it was basically a place. I mean, I-, I don't know. I thought that they were going there like, because it was a safe place, because it was familiar. Like, it's something that like he knew existed in the world. But it sounds like it was very driven by nostalgia. Tell me, tell me if I am misremembering this, but I thought that he actually bought that mall with some friends, like, in case there was a zombie apocalypse. Isn't that what? Oh. 
No, I thought he just bought it with them. I didn't. I thought he just said the price was low and he went in because he loved them all. And it's where he grew up and near where he grew up. I didn't. I think either either it wasn't there or I missed where it was like. And in case this happens, I, I think I think that that's true. I think hmm. that when they were talking about it, he said and it was like that was another detail that I was like, oh, that's what we've been doing, too. <laughs> we've been scouting mm-hmm. out the place, the, the, the compounds we're going to buy. Yeah, one time you related to Bob. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so they get to this facility where they all choose. This is the part was kind of fun. Like, this yeah. is the part of the this is the part of the apocalypse that I envisioned where like. You know, you're one of the few people left, so you get to have, like, whatever cute outfits from whatever store you want. For me, it was when she talked about those really cute, brightly colored sweatsuits. I was like, heck yeah. <laughs> I want some comfy, com- comfy snugs. Snugs. Um, snuggy snugs um, mm-hmm. to wear around the desolate city. Anyway, um, they all chose, like, storefronts to move into, so she described kind of, like, the the aesthetic appeal that drew them to their own storefronts. At any rate, she was confined to hers because she had been so naughty. Yep. Locked her Bob in there would, for like a month. Yeah. Yeah, it was not okay. And the person who like snitched on her, Evan, who you sort of hate a lot at first, um, then it becomes clear that he is deeply regretful of his action and tries to get her out and then supposedly overdoses, which again makes you wonder, like, did he really overdose or did Bob do that? Well, but I mean, they, but he does talk about overdosing yeah. earlier in the book. So that that red is very plausible to me that he was just like, fuck this, I'm out. Well, sure. But at this point, I don't believe anything Bob says. So I, you know, Bob found him annoying. He did try to, this happens not long after he tries to take a key off Bob's body. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so. no, no, you're right. It's it's very possible that, that Bob killed him. But given that Evan had talked about that and given yeah. that, like, he wasn't confined to his quote unquote room like like Candace was, but he was confined, I think. Right. Like Bob would not let him leave the facility. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's correct. Uh, you know, this is kind of not on the topic we were going toward. I promise I'm going to get back to Bob and his thing. But um, I did also wonder if if. I don't want to say this book was not ha- she's I believe I don't know Ling Ma's background. I want to say she's an immigrant or the child of immigrants as well, but I'm mm-hmm. not 100% sure on that. I but it so. reads as if that was her experience, right? Yeah. Like that's how I get this um or that's what I get from her writing. Um so I there were times where I was like is Bob a commentary on the Chinese government? Um I don't know if she ever meant to do that or not. I definitely got sort of this anti capitalist sentiment, but I also oh, yeah. got kind of this commentary on like you know the the really Oh, God, I can't think of nice words to say it, but like really failed attempt at sort of a, a socialist sort of environment with this this communist China. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? That, like, I, It does. That's interesting. I wondered I, because, I mean, Bob's very authoritarian and, mm-hmm. and people who speak out are silenced, right? Like they're just kind of this. And, and that's a good Obviously, I'm like talking that. in broad strokes. I'm not an expert on um, on China, Chinese government, things like that. I do, of course, have concerns about human rights, things that that go on in China. But, you know, as the. I don't think the Chinese people are often aware of any of that. So at any rate, I did wonder at times because, you know, she did have the dad's voice also talked about, oh, we're never going back there after the Tiananmen Square thing. Yeah. Which, again, lots of Chinese people have no idea ever even happened. Right. And Hmm. so, yeah, I just wondered if Bob was maybe kind of a commentary on that. Definitely on authoritarianism. I hadn't made I didn't make the connection to the Chinese government specifically, but um, I think that it's entirely possible that she did that intentionally mm-hmm. that's that's a that's an interesting connection it may be a wrong connection but it's just something that popped into my head yeah i mean there, there definitely is a as you say i think that there's a strong streak of anti-authoritarianism a strong streak of anti-capitalism in the book and i think that the whether it's a commentary on the chinese government or not 
the mm. the fact that she sort of sets up this situation where like even in the apocalypse you have problems with authoritarianism like i i i thought that was an interesting move i wasn't exactly sure what to do with it but it was mm-hmm. it was interesting right like this is this should be a period in which people are freer than they have ever been and freedom is another big theme in the book right that like sure. it comes up in really interesting places we should come back to that but like it's the it's it's post-apocalyptic. People should be freer than they have ever been, and yet you still have these problems with these middle-aged white men trying to, you know, <laughs> conscript the women into reproductive sleep. Oh, because that that's the other thing is that when Bob locks her up, right? There's part of that calculus has to do with the fact that Candace tells him that she's pregnant. No, well, and, she didn't tell him. Evan did. But, oh, that's right. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Evan told, but so he knows that she's pregnant, and there's a very strong sense that like. He's invested in the birth of that child. He sees it as miraculous and that potentially once she gives birth, Candace might mm-hmm. be done. And, and that's that, where the voice of her mother comes into play, which is the whole yeah. unique element that Wait, I do want to finish the Bob thing. Though. Yes, th- that's Bob exactly what I was going to say. But I do want to come back to the dreams with her mom. <laughs> Look at me trying to stay on topic. <laughs> I know. All right. So how does Bob die? So... After they return to the mall, Bob sort of develops this routine of walking around the mall late at night, which... Yeah. I'm sorry. Can I break in again? Yeah. His, like, little patrols really got to me. Like, mm-hmm. I had some experiences of being monitored in the way that that it felt like that was the point of Bob's nightly walks. I mean, maybe there was mm-hmm. more to it than that, but it very much seemed like he was just making yeah. sure that everybody was in the place that they were supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, it wasn't to protect them from outside forces. It was to contain them yes. and control them. Yeah. yeah. And it really, yeah, that, that detail for some reason just really got to me. So anyway. Yeah. Which at some point I, I did. So it becomes clear when Candace mentions to Bob his patrols that he may not even be aware he's doing them. Like when she brings it up to him, he's like, what are you talking about? Which it doesn't seem like he'd have any point in denying them to me, at least. Yeah. It's almost like sleepwalking so, or something. Yeah. So then it makes me wonder, like, at first I thought, oh, like maybe he's sleepwalking in some weird way. But like, also, is it possible that fevered doesn't always happen? Like it's not an on off switch that it's much more gradual. Yes. And then you actually do retain some higher functions for longer than you'd expect. Yeah. So because, you know, the, the, I guess the part of this that we haven't said is that Bob ends up being fevered yes. at the end. Yeah. And then what does Candace do? She, she then takes advantage of the opportunity to kick the shit out of him. Yep. Which was yeah. very satisfying. Yeah. And I think also it's, got a little bit queasy over it too. Yeah. No, I mean it was it was a pretty yeah, she provides a lot of vivid details for that, which is yeah. yeah. But and then yeah, like Adam discovers the scene of Candace kicking the shit out of Bob and was like, Stop, you're gonna you know, don't do something. It's you're gonna not regret. too late. If you stop now, we can we can come back from this. Yeah, fuck I know. Off, I'm like, Adam. dude. Yeah, there's just there's always another another domineering male to take the place of the last one. Yep. Yep. Uh, fitting that his name is Adam. So <laughs> so, so this brings me back to the nostalgia hypothesis, right? Because so, of course, like they're in this place that has a lot of childhood memories for Bob. And I and I like the detail that you're sort of connecting with. It's like, oh, OK, so maybe the onset of the, of the fever really did start earlier than they realized and that the nighttime walks were a symptom of that or whatever. But the night before he is obviously fevered, Candace says to him, what is it like being back here in this place that has all these childhood memories for you? And I... Did she do it on purpose? I... I this, so I didn't pick up on it the first time through the book, but like the second time around, I'm like, I feel like she did that on purpose because the nostalgia thing was salient to her and she was planning an escape 
And I think that she might have done that on purpose. It's it's a sort of like trigger and escalation. Yeah. And it's interesting that I almost wondered if like the way that she keeps her mother as a part of her current narrative is a way of managing grief. It's almost like empty chair technique in therapy. Yeah. It's her way of handling nostalgia without looking backward. Does that make sense? Like she's resolving some mother issues without returning to the past i thought that was a really interesting mechanism because because while she's confined in her little store we start to hear that her her mother is showing up she she talks about and this is this is a memory of my childhood too like when you're in bed and your parents sit down on the bed and you feel the weight distribution change on the bed mm-hmm. that's a very i don't know it resonates whatever yeah. um it's a it's a thing i remember and she talks about like that's how she knows her mom is showing up to talk to her and her mom is talking about current events and giving her advice and i'm like what are you doing get yourself together yeah yeah <laughs> she says great. like there's one i think the first time that it happens her mom is like depression is is like a a luxury that you would only have in america what are you doing yeah like you need to get up and wash your face and moisturize and get your I'm exercise like, i'm like mom mom is that you <laughs> so yeah and so but it's mostly helpful in this case i think it, it serves a, an important function in, in her i think it does yeah i think situation i think that she wouldn't have made the move that she did so like so after she kicks the shit out of bob she gets the she gets out of there she leaves the facility and drives and she's heading mm-hmm. to chicago we haven't even talked about jonathan we need to come back to to those relationships yeah. that she has <laughs> but she goes to she goes to chicago because she thinks that she's never been there but jonathan her ex-boyfriend that is the father of the of the child uh used to live there favorite city and so she decides to go to chicago and they were in a Chicago suburb. The facility or this mall yes. was in a Chicago suburb. That's right. So she goes into the city, mm-hmm. which again, I say sh- there should be a lot more bodies. Yeah, there should. But she she drives into the city. This is the end of the book, by the way. She drives into the city, car runs out of gas, um, and then she just starts walking. And that's kind of how the book ends. But the the thing that I thought was interesting about this ending is she realizes when she gets into the city that she's been there as a child. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, like this extended flashback from when she was like, what, eight years old or something of her being in Chicago with her mother and them having this conversation about like, you know, they, they, they weren't living there or anything. They visited, I think her dad was on a business trip or something. And yeah. her mom and she are having this conversation about like, if we lived here, what would we do? I would work and you would do that. And it's like, it's this nice little snapshot and so she, we get that scene, and then we get her getting out of the car and just walking. And this is another thing that, like, I wasn't really sure what to make of that ending the first time around. But on my second read, I was like, oh, Candace is going to become fevered. Yeah, that's as you're saying this, that's what I figured you were going to say. And now I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. <sighs> Which I I don't know. Like, there's a... Oh man, there like again, there's like there's so many big themes here that I just I want to keep coming back to and I this is making me very scattered in the way that I'm talking about. That's how things. I always feel in my life. It's just there was a lot, there was a lot packed into this book, man. Mm-hmm. I don't know, should we talk about Jonathan? I want to come back to this idea of well, freedom. Well, and especially because she couldn't I think at the end like she wasn't that's something that frustrated me too. She wasn't planning, she wasn't making so even though she is alive, like she wasn't planning or making any active decisions. She only drove where she did and stopped when she did because the car ran out of gas. Exactly. She she kept saying I which I relate to this too. Like she kept saying I might have taken that exit, or I, I might have gone there, but I just kept staying on the only street I knew. And she and she uses the word instinct. She's like, by by instinct, I kept riding the car because this was yeah, because yeah. this was the familiar street. Yeah. 
the, so I don't know. Maybe we should. I don't know what to talk about first, Sarah. Um, the, well, you wanted to talk about Jonathan. So mm-hmm. let's introduce who Jonathan is since we're now at like basically the end of the book and we haven't even talked about him. <laughs> um, but Jonathan is the – so she went through this, you know, in her – I guess her early 20s or whatever, whenever she was like first moving to the city. She had this idea of like I've got to be in New York. New York's where I got to be. That's that's where I'm going to live. That's what – you know. That, and then it's just this falling in love with this idea of this place and sort of persisting there even when it was difficult to make ends meet, even when – her boyfriend was going to be leaving. Um, she just had to stay in New York, and it's not entirely clear why, but um, just sort of this dogged pursuit of this idea, but it's not a very strong idea either. It's just like, this is where I'm going to be happy, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of, it reminds me of, um, so like Eric Erickson's stages about like mm-hmm. uh, identity versus yeah. whatever, like the the it reminded me of like identity foreclosure. It's like, she's, she's yeah. just decided that like, okay, this is the yeah, thing I'm going to do. And she hasn't really fair. thought about it or, you know, thought about alternatives or purpose or any yeah. of that stuff. She's just sort of like, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's again, I, every once in a while I was like, is she trying to show that like, she was basically like, is there really any difference between the fevered and me? It's, it's kind I, of I got that very strongly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, Jonathan was the, the boyfriend that she was with and it was, I think it was one of the more fulfilling relationships that, um, she described uh, um yeah i mean like the other ones all of the sexual scenes were like very oh i didn't see them coming first of all like i didn't she was just very abrupt yeah and and they were very sort of dissociated or something like yeah none of them were okay so before we get too much into jonathan the guy that she's like kind of halfway seeing sleeping with like before she meets jonathan is steven and he's like this middle-aged old white dude and after they sleep together <laughs> He, he's uh asking her to help him tie a tie and she's like why you know what's the occasion and he's like oh i'm gonna be on tv so she watches his tv appearance on like a local news show or whatever and he's like ranting about lazy millennials who don't want jobs they just expect trust funds and all this mm-hmm. shit so like steven is like very much sort of like standing in as an archetype for just like crotchety old white men who want to you know talk about the kids these days yeah i mean maybe like the status quo right mm-hmm. institution of capitalism he he's the one who gets her that job at the publishing thing like his brother mm-hmm. has a high up position in the publishing firm or whatever but so she she's with him there's like a really gross sex scene described where he's like it's like borderline coercive like she doesn't want him to go down on her and he's just like insisting that he's going to do it anyway and she's like telling him to stop and he's like no She's like, we need a safe word. And he's like, the safe word is yes. It's really gross. Yeah, it's cringy. Yeah. And so it's like she's she's uh, sort of like halfway, you know, he's trying to get back together with her when she meets Jonathan and they become involved. And Jonathan is essentially like everything that Steven is not. Yeah. Like he's anti-capitalist. He's adopted this like ascetic lifestyle, lifestyle you know, he's not not bought into the consumerism thing. And so, like, he becomes sort of the plot device, essentially, for these discussions about capitalism and consumerism to happen throughout the book. I think that's fair, right? Yeah, no, I I think so. And I still thought that it was interesting. I don't know. There was a, I'm not really sure what to make of like the the presence of like the really rough sex with Jonathan. Like, it doesn't. It's not non consensual. Like she said, she she explicitly says that she likes rough sex, but mm-hmm. it just is. I don't, it just seems like there's. I don't know if it has a function or if it just doesn't. And maybe I'm just trying to make something of it that isn't. I, I do think it's another example of her 
like those scenes just they they felt like a, another sort of visceral example of her just sort of going through motions of things and it's like yeah it's kind of they're kind of empty and um mm-hmm. even even with Jonathan who is the more filling partner than the others but yeah yeah i mean it's it's just again it's the theme for me with her or one of the themes with her is just like she knows she often knows what she doesn't want but she rarely knows what she does is is how i read it yeah um, and so maybe maybe Jonathan makes a good segue into like another theme that like i keep i keep trying to to latch onto here Mm-hmm. because the reason that they break up is that Jonathan says that he's leaving New York and this is already when the pandemic is well underway, right? But Candace is still sort of in denial about it. But he's like, you know, I got to leave New York. It's just, it doesn't make sense to be living here <laughs> given that, you know, it's... See, I thought this was early. I thought this was before there were many fevered people in the US when he was leaving. Well, they have a conversation like a few days before he leaves, like when the hurricane hits, right? The hurricane mm-hmm. hits New York and he stays with her after they've broken up. And so they have a conversation then where he's like, look, I've been following all of these these things that are saying that it's way worse than the media is reporting it to be in China. And that's, you know, that like a third of the population in China is fevered. So like, I don't think that most of the United States has sort of accepted what a harsh reality they're fa- they're facing in the near future. But but mm-hmm. that information seems to be out there. But yeah, so 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 he's leaving. That pisses her off because she feels like he's already made this decision, hasn't included her in it. Mm-hmm. And so she, as soon as he says that she's leaving, she just cuts off contact with him. But then they have this conversation. And it was, it was really interesting. Let me find, I've got a quote here. So when, when this hurricane hits the city and he comes and stays with her, they have this kind of like, you know, last conversation about a number of things. And they're talking about kind of like capitalism and he's sort of you know giving her shit for staying committed to this job that she doesn't care about you know for a company that she doesn't believe in and so she has this this moment of her internal monologue where she's like i know you too well you live your life idealistically you think it's possible to opt out of the system no regular income no health Mm -hmm. insurance you quit jobs on a dime you think this is freedom but I still see the bare, painstakingly cheap way that you live, the scrimping yes. and saving, and that's not freedom either. Yeah. And it's it like, again, I think that, that this idea of freedom and like the invisible prisons that we're in is like yes. so prevalent throughout the book, whether that prison is capitalism or habit or, you know, whatever. And like, so this, that, that moment to me was super interesting because she's saying like, mm-hmm. even though Jonathan, you know, fancies himself this person who is sort of above it all and has bucked the system is still mm-hmm. kind of operating within uh, an invisible yeah. prison of, of his own, which I thought was, I don't know. Yeah. It's an interesting moment. And that's fair too. I, I think she doesn't present an answer in this either because no. I mean, like the, the alternative to capitalism and all these other things is sort of like a a small community driven approach mm-hmm. and that's not working for her either with bob and so i i feel like she's right yeah i feel like she's saying gosh what what actually could work i think it's a really good like thought provoking exercise without without telling you what the answer is um i totally agree with that yeah. it's like it's gosh cuz i mean you get to a place where like you you know you have sort of like social systems and stuff in place but you also have people who don't want that and who aren't at liberty to withdraw from that system mm-hmm. um so yeah there's yeah so the answer is just walking alone into a dead city by yourself where you're gonna become fevered i don't know i just i, mean, I sent you a message about the end of the book and i was like son of a bitch um 
Because I wanted, you know, I wanted Candace to find some other like-minded yeah. survivors. And I don't feel like that's what's happening. No. I, so, I mean, when you when you read it, did, did did you have the same impression that you thought that she was she was fevered? I just had a voice in my head like, Candace, you have no plan. You're you have to go to labor like you have no you've you should have just had a coup and taken over the group and kicked out the people who were, you know, like what? I was mad at her. Actually, I was mad at Candace at the end. Yeah, I mean, I don't. But but, but maybe like, she was fevered the whole time, and uh, there was no choice. Maybe right. There I mean, any choice. Like the fact that it was ambiguous, I think, is one of the is a is a strength of the book, right? Like that's a testament to the because because yeah, I mean, the way that she was describing her own behavior, it was impossible to tell. Like a lot of the things could have been because of the fever, or it could have been because of the state that all of us find ourselves in right now living in sort of like this sort of late stage capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I don't know. I <laughs> I think the point is that it's hard to tell whether she was fevered, which is great. Yeah, feeling a little fevered myself, honestly. Give you fever <laughs> when you kiss me, fever when you hold me tight. Fever. Another quote that I had on the freedom theme mm-hmm. was, this was about her father, and she's talking about, you know, her parents' attempts to gain freedom in these fundamentally incompatible ways, right? Mm-hmm. You know, her her father wants to come to the United States in order to be free in a certain way. Her mother wants to go back to – but yeah. she, she has this quote. To Fujin. Yeah. Yeah. But she has this quote. uh says, it was the anonymity. He, her father, wanted to be unknown, unpossessed by others' knowledge of him. That was freedom. And yet so many immigrants are very much possessed and dictated to by people's knowledge and stereotypes. Yes. I don't know. There, there's a lot of like, oh, but what about this in this book? Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. sorry for all the stomping. There's a princess out in the hallway. Oh, my. Princess Elsa. Um, no, I, I mean, I think I think that your description of this is like is like presenting a lot of problems and questions and not offering a solution is right. And that's I mean, that's part of what makes it feel so. It makes it feel desolate, but it also, I think, is what made it feel so relatable. Yeah. <laughs> I And I, I accidentally broke one of our rules. I didn't break it very far, but I did sort of like acquire information about the book without intending to. I was trying to find the year of publication. Oh, yeah. Um, and I ended up seeing something that said that basically this was an assignment for her um, where they were supposed to write like family history. This was her act of opposition. She actually oh, wow. wrote – this in opposition to the assignment i think i we can we can double check that but i um i thought that was so interesting too so this book itself was sort of an act of defiance for her when she was supposed to write like a family history and wow. she wrote this version i know can you again my keyboard's covered would you oh, oh yeah i can google it but yeah i i don't know i i'm really i respect i guess the open-ended nature of the book ending but i i resent it as well um, there's a lot of duality um but <sighs> I didn't want her to be fevered. I well, I didn't either. But then again, it kind of felt like that was how she was finding her freedom, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Okay. So I found this um, interview that I can link in the show notes if people are interested. So the interviewer says, "I've read that Severance started out as a short story." Uh, I don't know. She's not mentioning anything about that. But I'll have to look it up mm. later. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, we can link that information too. Yeah. But um. But yeah, I mean, you know, the last. I guess we're going on two years. Yeah, yeah. The, I think a lot of people, myself included, have begun to reinspect um, a lot of things about our relationships to work and to consumerism and 
all kinds of things. And my experience of going through that has been very much like I'm sort of recognizing a lot of problems that I never fully was cognizant of before, but I have absolutely no idea what to do about them. And that was kind of my experience of reading this book as well. It's like <laughs> the novel is kind of taking you through that process in some ways. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Huge fan. Really, 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 really like this book. Yeah, it's a very thought-provoking book. And mm-hmm. like I said, really rich sensory details that, mm-hmm. that wrap you up in the story. Um, I just uh, – and some moments of like – like I'm often <laughs> – I often reflect uh, more than I want on the like the absurdity of existence and, and this sense of isolation even in the midst of other people and, and these sorts of things that I sometimes wish my brain would spend less time on yeah. um, just because I don't – I you know, I never arrive at an answer. I mean maybe that's – that's what it is. Yeah. That's all. But yeah, there was a, t- a point where like I was listening to I can't remember what part of the book I was in, but it was like another eerie part. And I was driving to work and I came across like a woman who had like run over somebody's mailbox and was like stuck in a ditch. Oh, God. Because I always come upon accidents. So I passed her and I was like, she's probably fine. But I, I circled back around because, you know, I, I just had to. And um, it's one of the very few days was actually going to be early for work, which is a big accomplishment in and of itself. But I circled back and I, there was just something I, I don't even know how to capture it. Something very that escapes words about that experience and stopping and talking to her because in my mind, I was like the only survivor. <laughs> so it, I don't know. I, I don't even I don't have a reason for bringing that up. It just was a it, it really this book took me somewhere else. And just the act of returning to life was very odd. Yeah. Um, no, when this happened, the lady was fine. The mailbox was not fine, oh, but she was wow. fine. No, but I'm I'm with you on that. It, it's it it is very sort of transportative. Transportative, yes. yes. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. So one one moment in the book that I want to make sure we don't lose the gemstone Bible. Yes, girl. I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> this well, and yeah. Broadly, this the the Bible experience and how it was different from other books. Yes. Right. And I think it rings true. This is stuff I've heard about. The cr- critiques I've heard of Bible production. Uh, yeah. No, that this this is not hard for me to believe. Yeah. But there's there's a there's a moment um pretty early in the book where she's this is post the announcement of Shen fever being an issue, but like early on in in its kind of effects. She is talking to a to a client of of this publishing consultant firm. And they had a contract to produce the Gemstone Bible, which is these Bibles that have like, uh, I think it was like a bookmarker that had a gemstone on the end of I it. I think it was sold with a necklace. It was a gemstone necklace. Oh, was it? And it was okay, targeted was for yeah, yeah, young teen girls. Yes. Right. Um, yeah. And they wanted them to have a precious stone uh-huh. that came with the book in order to like, you know, obviously promote sales. And- Sell the Bible. Yeah. And the the issue is that like the gemstone manufacturers – are, we're having to to sort of halt manufacturing because the people that were in the factory work, right, like cutting the gemstones or whatever, were dying because the the particles from yeah, unsafe practices. Yes, yeah. yes, they didn't have a safe labor environment, and so the the dust from the gemstones was getting into their lungs and like cutting up their lungs, and so they were they were dying, and so this was obviously causing a manufacturer. So she's explaining this to this woman who I imagine was Southern, like. I think she did a southern accent for it. I think she did. Yeah. I'm imagining a, a lady from Texas with hair that's very close to God, you know. Yeah. I agree with the hair, but not the lady. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so, the yeah, the woman doesn't give a shit about the, the people dying in these factories or whatever. 
doesn't care. It's just a problem that that Candace needs to solve. It, exactly. Her. Right. It's yeah. just a problem of manufacture that Candace needs to solve. Right. And so she, yeah. you know, she's saying essentially like, well, there has to be something you can work out here. And Candace is like, no, this is a industry wide problem with their labor practices. And uh, pe- people are dying. And the woman's like, and I feel real bad about that. However, <laughs> mm-hmm. we're all very excited about this practice or about this uh, this project, and Bible, yeah. you know, you just need to work something out. Uh, yeah, where like we're like religion and human rights and capitalism all coincide. Yes, um, as they so yeah. often do, by the way. Oh yes, indeed. I did send you a meme last night, or a thing last night that said, you know, how do you become a billionaire? Exploit people. Yes, so, and I think I responded, I "Fuck yes," but. I didn't mean like, yay, ex- exploitation. I just meant <laughs> right. I that is how that works. I think that you were pro-exploitation. Um, but no, that's, that's how I felt for a while. It's like, you know, you can amass. Yeah. I think that might be the only way to do it. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. Even if you do it unknowingly, there are still going to be have, have to be systems that exploit. Because, yeah, to elevate yourself that far above everyone else. Yeah. That's how that works. But it was it was I think that. It was probably that scene, which, again, I think happens very early in the book. It's within the first few chapters that I was like, oh, okay, I see what this book is going to be. Like that that moment just kind of like, I mm-hmm. think, maybe more sensitive to like all yeah. of the other ways in which she's yeah. she's sort of bringing in these ideas of exploitation and capitalism yeah. and, and and all that good stuff. Oh, and I think it, it highlights in admittedly a very on the nose and very in your face and firsthand experience, but like a lot of the like ambivalence and uncertainty that we experience. Like I know that I want to do composting and recycling as much as possible. And I know that I, I mean, every once in a while I have a day where I'm just crushed by the, the weight of like all the microplastics that we're creating. And it's like, how can this not be everybody's number one concern? And then the next day it's like, I, I try to buy ethically, sourced clothing and it's like being being able to preserve this life that i have in pursuit of these things that i'm well i think a lot of the things i do matter about mental health but i think a lot of it again is systems right like yes if we didn't have some of the systems in place that we do people wouldn't be having the mental health issues that they do absolutely Um, so i don't know it's just she's highlighting some of the absurdity of what we're doing and our motivations and why we're persisting yeah yeah exactly I, i think another another detail that that comes out in really clearly is like she describes the the working environment um that she has in the office and how like oh my oh man i think so th- there, there's a conversation she has with jonathan where jonathan is describing sort of the competitive practices in his but they are they are mirrored in candace's working environment as well about like these places relying on very young like fresh out of college cheap labor entry-level positions to like make that engine run and uh getting out people who they would have to pay pay higher salaries to essentially Mm -hmm. and also sort of relying on a competitive atmosphere so that like employees are motivated to like work the longest hours and shit that is very very familiar to me right like Mm -hmm. and, and it transcends like the the motives or environment of any particular company this is just what it was like to come into the job market at the time that we specifically did Mm -hmm. Uh, and i'm not saying that it's not a problem anymore it it continued to be a problem but like there are some of these problems that i think sort of reached a crescendo around the time that you and i essentially entered the job market Mm -hmm. which boomers (laughs) will not acknowledge um shit was hard i think acknowledging that requires them to reflect on a lot of things that happened in their own lives that would really require a lot of work yes i I think it'd be a a huge overhaul for yeah i think um this this book is a novel 
by a millennial about millennials and the the for kind millennials. of yeah for millennials um about the kind of labor market that 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 we we came into and the expectations i mean she 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 talks about like not leaving the office until uh the cleaning crew came in and she was like oh i guess it's time to go home and there right yeah same and i remember the moment when i sort of like came to my senses one day and was like wait a second i am working like twice the hours that i really have to work why am i doing this to myself yeah which is something i don't it's not a realization that i think candace actually ever has in the book but yeah i don't know jonathan tries to help her have it yep he does bless well, him but then as she highlights jonathan really hasn't cracked the code either no n- none of us and have. he's also not got a lot of insight into his the way he suffers as well so um i think we should acknowledge that i've been looking rather angelic for the past i was minutes. just about to say uh, how 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 um ethereal you're looking there with the sun shining on your sun is porcelain skin <laughs> The sun is making it look like my the top of my head is pure white. Actually, now it's so bright that it looks like you don't have hair on the top, so it's getting a little <laughs> bit alien. It's like leaving angelic and, and going to like bald alien lady. I'm flicking my tongue at Sarah. <laughs> and now it's creating some shadows around your eyes. Yeah, you're starting to look a little bit you're you're veering into creepy versus angelic. Hey, there's nothing I can do about it. That's it was it, it's it's lovely and <laughs> creepy. It's which you know what? It's Halloween. I think that's perfect. Yes, this is my costume. Good job, son. Yes. If you could just have the sun follow you around. It's really, God, your cheekbones, girl. Like, you could cut something on them. Girl. I think we should take a screenshot. <laughs> okay, can you do it? You have to look up. Wait, wait. Is that good? Oh, I think that was great. Okay. Oh, yes, yeah, definitely creepy. All right, that's, okay. the, that's the cover I just, didn't, You know, I wanted the listeners to be involved in that. Uh-huh, yeah. I feel like they were a part of it. Yeah. So, anyway, I, yeah, th- this really, like, I wonder what it would have been like reading this at the beginning of the pandemic. I don't know. I wonder if it might have sort of um, sped up some of the realizations yeah. that I came to by, you know, 12 months into this. It. I did find something, too. I, I Googled a little bit after you did. And I what I found was what I found before, which said Ma said she felt pressured to write a traditional immigration novel while in the MFA program at Cornell, but instead decided to write about otherness and alienation via the trope of zombie apocalypse. Oh, that's cool. And it says Ma's main character is, like her, a first-generation immigrant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. That does add a whole other Yeah, layer I like that it was an act of defiance in which she describes a lack of defiance. And I, again, I, I don't I don't want to speak for a group that I'm not a part of, but just in some of my life experiences and conversations with people, there is a lot, especially with Asian-American immigration, but with a lot of immigrants, I think this this constant struggle between assimilation and, and sort of cultivation or at least remembering of like traditions and, and things from the homeland and i i think that it's a sort of a, a constant tug of war if that makes sense yeah and so i felt like that was definitely a theme throughout even though she yes. didn't explicitly call some of her struggles related to her cultural background or immigration status i think that uh it's it's very much there though i i agree with that yeah people need to read this book for 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 real like it's, it's so it's i mean it's a, such a rich i mean you could go anywhere with these discussions she covers so many things so yeah, yeah. i don't know have we said all the things that we can say i you know i think i hit most of the things that i that i wanted to hit were there any other things you're going to feel sad if you didn't i want to rephrase my last statement we haven't said all the things we can say but we've said the highlights that we really wanted to i think yeah so i definitely wanted to highlight the the what's a word that i want to label this with it's like a intense discomfort on specifically with the the bibles that to me yeah really touched on something you know i think Lindsay and i both i'm sure it's come through we've done a lot of deconstructing um from having 
and I, I would say your background is much more fundamental even than mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but some deconstructing of a lot of those ideas that we were just sort of, I mean, for lack of a better word, indoctrinated with, you know, and some of it's been highlighted with my current relationship with my daughter, where I'm like, whoa, I'm trying to explain Christian ideology to her. And yeah. I'm like, it's about to have to tell her that like, people um are sinners from the moment they breathe their first breath and like they were created that way. like just some things that are absurd so anyway i thought that the 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 secret filth um of this the bible industry yes was a really nice juxtaposition it, um, with the, the ideals that are yes spouted by a lot of um evangelical i agree folks. with that i thought that was a really nice touch like it's there's there's no better person she could have been having that conversation with in terms of, you know, the, the problems with manufacturing than a Christian that is just hellbent <laughs> <laughs> on uh, on having this Bible produced. It was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was nice. It was well done. I'm confident we're going to end this call and I'm going to be like, well, there was this obvious thing I wanted to discuss. I but- know. Oh, actually, uh, maybe should we end at the beginning? I really liked the yes, first uh, sentence of her first chapter. So this was yeah. this was after the prologue when the prologue is actually you know pretty substantive. But the first sentence of the first chapter is the end begins before you are ever aware of it. It passes as ordinary. Oh, then she's definitely fevered. <laughs> Having heard that now, yeah, there's no question in my mind that she's fevered. Yeah, yep. I think you're probably right. But it. Yep. But no, it, that's. <laughs> but when I read that line the first time, I was just like, we none of us knew what we were in for with COVID. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're still feeling not to not to get dark at the very end of this episode. Right. But like we are we are just now in the in the past few months, I think, really starting to see some of the problems that began with COVID start to ramp up mm-hmm. with striking, mm-hmm. with supply, it, with supply chain issues, all this shit. Yeah. This isn't getting better. And mm-hmm. at the beginning of this, like it just our schools are grossly understaffed. Every have everything is every industry is that's for sure. Um, And, you know, we have kids who are now behind. We have we're supposed to be doing interventions before we do special education eligibility meetings. And our interventions are probably off the coast of California right now, just waiting in containers. But it's now what November tomorrow. um, And we still don't have the tools we need to do the things we need with the kids in order to get them caught up. And it's just exactly. And it's it's, all these things compound. Yep. And it's just going to get worse. And then you have oversimplification of things where everybody's like, oh, it's Biden's fault. And it's like, dear <laughs> Jesus Christ. So um, and that's not me saying that as like Biden's biggest supporter. No. It's me saying that as like this is much bigger and people just sort of don't want to accept an evaluation of the systems because that's somehow un-American. But that's a whole other I could spend several hours talking about yep, that topic for a different show. Yeah. Um. Well. This is this has been lovely. I've been so excited to talk about this, and I think I think uh, we did justice mm-hmm. to to yeah. the things. And I think if you listen to this without reading the book, it's still worth reading the book. Oh yeah. Um, I'm sorry that we spoiled things for you, but it's still just I mean, just for her her ability to write visceral details, I think is it's worth reading the book. Yeah, it's a great book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what are we reading next? <sighs> Didn't we have an idea? I felt I felt like we did. I have a lot of ideas, Lindsay. Uh, crap. I usually remember all of them. I don't know. Could we just like add it in later no um actually (laughs) so you you brought something up a while back it was like a fantasy something yeah it's got some heavy themes too um um yeah what's um, that one called i gotta pull it up i want to make sure i tell you right the prey of gods by nikki drayden 
is set in South Africa. Oh, wow. It's pretty good so far. Uh, and I think we're at the beginning of potentially some sort of apocalypse, certainly a large societal shift. And I, I there's the cover has um, a little girl in a white dress and um, a large robot. So I think we're also looking at the rise of artificial intelligence. Ooh, and fun. The, 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 what's that called? The point where things become sentient? The, like strong AI? The singularity? I think, singularity. I think singularity. Isn't that when uh, when we merge with robots? Or am I wrong about that? I thought, I don't know. Maybe I should stop using terms I don't know. Yeah. Well, um, I might but be the wrong. point at yeah. which the AI is, it, anyway, it's got some, it's got some interesting parallels with severance. It's got some, it's got some good questions that have started. It's got some nice, it's got some sci-fi, but it's also got a little bit more of that magic that I like. So I think it's going to be a really interesting read. Cool. It's got some very visceral details as well. Yeah, I think it's going to be an exciting read. I'm looking at pictures of Nikki Drayden now. She seems fun. <laughs> yeah, I think so. We could be friends. Okay. All right. Well, fantastic. So, <laughs> folks, uh, that's what's up next. The Prey of Gods, Nikki Drayden. Get on it. That's right. All right. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Lindsay. Until next time. Mm-hmm. Take like 500,001. is an excellent occupation we like to read we like to read we like to read i just want my child I think that's an important prerequisite. Come read a book. Come read a book. Come listen to us talk about books. Don't run away because this song is weird. I'm gonna stop right now if you promise to listen. Hi, this is Don Swanson from Wisconsin. I listen to We're on the Same Fuck. Hi, this is Don Swanson from Wisconsin. I listen to your fuck. Howdy.
This is John Swanson. I'm from Wisconsin.